Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Global Game for Paramount Plus. The A-League is where stars are made. Every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. Here are your hosts, Alex Brosk and Simon Hill. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for Episode 7 of the new series. Another big week in football where we lost LTEL, sadly. Witnessed a huge Sydney derby and the stadium debate reared its ugly head once again. We'll review a huge Sydney derby which saw the Wanderers claim bragging rights and ask if there's a solution to poor pitches and oversized stadiums in Simon Spiel. Central Coast Mariners coach Mark Jackson is with us after the champions finally break their seasonal duck in the F3 derby. Alicia Carnabas will run the rule over the Matilda squad named to face Canada and talk us through a big win for Melbourne City in the A-League women's. Spencer Pryor will pay tribute to the late Terry Venables and give us his thoughts on the big clash at the Etihad in the Premier League. And Paul Williams will look ahead to another busy week of Champions League and AFC Cup action in Football Asia. It's all to come between now and 10 o'clock on the Global Game right here on SEN. Guys, Alex Molchanoff and Alex Brosk, how are you gentlemen? Uh, not great. <laughs> it was a tough week. Two Sydney FC fans in the studio. Yes, rather unfortunate. Uh, we'll get the chance to talk all the way through it, and you can relive it. Lucky you. Uh, if you want to get involved in the show, give us a call, 1300 011170, or you can send us a text, 0457 736 736, or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. For now, though, let's uh, kick things off with Starter for Five. Here we go then, question one. Alex Bross, this one's for you. The A-League pitch quality at Suncorp. Time to take internationals away from the Sunshine State or no, we need a different debate? Um, No, we definitely need to be having this debate. I I just don't think 
taking internationals away uh, will do anything, ultimately. I, I don't think, I can't see the government or, or the stadium kicking up much of a stink. I, I think in terms of compensation... Fans might, though. Mm, the fans would be upset, but again, I mean, are the fans' voices ever listened to, Simon? Well, if there's enough of them... I just think there, there needs to be compensation. Works for the grand final debate. Yeah. It, it, well, that's because the whole country got behind Eventually. It, right? Eventually. <laughs> I, I think... Comp- the club- clubs need to be compensated for it. I mean, mm. there needs to be a, a bigger discussion a- around that. It can't just be good enough for us to go there, look at the ground that we're playing on and say, OK, and then and then no one's held accountable for it. I am told that they did ask for compensation and were given a custard pie. That is my mail. And I don't that, know if that's that would true be the end of it, right? or not. Well, you know, w- what's the alternative? Well, it's, it's three quarters of, of an hour up the road yeah. in Redcliffe, which is not ideal for supporters. And this is the problem. We will have more on that in Simon Spiel a bit later on. Uh, meantime, question two. Alex Molchinov, the National Second Division, again, uh, Queensland. A team from Queensland is an absolute must or no if it sends the club or competition bust? Well, that ties in very nicely, Simon. And I won't go all the way saying it's an absolute must, but it's a close-run thing. I mean, we, we need representation in more than just New South Wales and Victoria. I think yep. that's uh, simply enough said. The The thing that has to come together is a compelling bid from from Queensland and that involves football Queensland allowing them to be relegated yes. back into the state the top league of their state competition and that sounds like a sticking point at the moment until that is resolved um, and whether that's FA telling football Queensland which side their bread's buttered or well, shouldn't that or be another the way then uh, <laughs> You know, that might be something that we're without for the first season or two of the national second tier. And I think that would be a real disappointment, again, for football fans in Brisbane. I I think it would be uh, useful for Football Australia if they want Brisbane United. If, and we don't know that 100% that that's the case, but if they do, then really they've got to force that issue. Mm. Or, Or Sunshine Coast FC. Uh, those are the two clubs that are bidding, as I understand it, or have bid uh, at the moment. There might be others to come. I will note, just before you go to three, it's good that we've had plenty of clubs come out saying they're still interested, mm. saying that they're uh, willing to continue through this process with FA. So I'd be very surprised we don't get two or four more teams. Absolutely. Which is great. And we need it. Uh, question three, Alex Brosk. Auckland handed the next A-League licence. It's a big city, so the logical location or an Australian club would have been my preferred destination. Uh, look, I wouldn't say logical location. I think if we're trying to grow the A-League and, and uh, then putting more Australian clubs would have been a preference. But I don't mind the idea of a New Zealand derby. I think it will help grow the game, grow the league. Um I know you're a fan of Tasmania, having been yep. a bit. I, I, you know, I think with Brisbane hopefully coming into the national second division, that'll that'll help things there. But a Brisbane derby might have, uh, you know, I guess renewed a bit of interest in in that part of the league as well. But otherwise, I I, I don't mind it. I like Auckland yep. coming. In. It's a city of over a million people, and uh, I guess if we are an Australasian league, which we are, because Wellington are in it, uh, then it was the biggest city that did not have a team. So we wish them well. Uh, question four, Alex Molchinov. No Sam Kerr for the Matildas. Ford or Fowler for me as a striker? Or no, give Remy Simpson the chance. She's good. I like her. 
Look, I think... Uh, <laughs> I worked hard on that one. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Uh, Tony's, Tony's stuck in a difficult spot here uh, because of Sam's absence. I think it speaks to the lack of depth that we don't have a second number nine behind it. Remy's played... I, I love Remy as a player, but she's played 14 minutes hmm. so far this season for Leicester City. So that's far from ideal. I think she probably deserves another chance of the Matilda squad, whether it's come at the right time for her is a different, uh, a different set of circumstances altogether. I'd be starting... Caitlin Ford up front, Mary Fowler supporting her, see what they can do. Because we've got to sort out an alternative for when Sam is not there um, that is is more sustainable moving forward than the, the sort of plaster we managed to put over it with Emily Van Egmond at the World Cup. So, well, to be honest, I mean, we, we played Mary Fowler as a false nine yeah. for some of those games where Sam Kerr was out injured at the Women's World Cup. And I thought that worked really well, to yeah. be honest. But now he um, wants to use Mary off the left. Yeah, so. yeah. Part of her, and her Mary's not getting a lot of game time. No, She's not City starting either. games for Manchester City either, which is a problem. Anyway, uh, question five, Broski. The Socceroos' Asian Cup chances on the back of two wins in the World Cup qualifiers. They should be in the final at least, or tournament football is a different beast. It is when you consider that we might, say, face a Saudi, Japan or Korea in the quarterfinals. You know? So I don't think the measure needs to be, do we make the final? I, I mean, we obviously will go into it thinking we can win and that mm. expectation should be there given not off the back of these two wins in the qualifiers. They're they fairly routine wins that we, we should have had. I think it's more off the way we've been playing and building since the World Cup, I mean, at the World Cup, but then since then as well in the, the big matches that we've played, um, we, we will definitely be one of the favourites. So, yeah, I don't think it has to be that we make the final. I think as long as we uh, continue to play well, um, you know, we could play Japan very early on and it could be game over. Well, as I said last week, I think if my maths is correct, then we are on track to face Saudi Arabia in the quarters if both teams win their group. Anyway, we will see. Looking forward to that tournament there. Just some of the big talking points uh, for this week. If you've got any views, send us a text 0457 736 736 or our number 1300 01170 or send us a tweet at Global Game SEN. We're off to a quick break on the other side of it. We will chat to the Central Coast Mariners coach, Mark Jackson. Now our A-League's interview of the week, thanks to Paramount+. Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-League's on Paramount+. Plus. And this week, we are in conversation with the new Central Coast Mariners coach, Mark Jackson, who got his first win at the weekend in the F3 derby as the champions defeated the Newcastle Jets by three goals to one in Gosford. Evening to you, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Simon. You OK? Yeah, very good. Alex Brosk is here as well. Um, safe to say, Mark, that those three points were a bit of a relief after the first few weeks? Definitely, as, as regards to as results go. Uh, you know, not not winning in the first four games is all, always difficult. Uh, we had we had the AFC Cup games in between that. Uh, but we, all, we always felt that performances were, were coming along and the understanding of the players to get better and how they were working was, was really positive. And obviously, results reflect a lot of things. Uh, so it was important that we could we could get the victory in the derby, and, and not only the victory, but the, the the manner of the performance as well, which is which was more pleasing for us. And Mark, you came in not long before the season started, and and took over a side that had lost a, a huge chunk of quality players um, that were key to their championship run last year. When you arrived, obviously they would have been a little bit deflated heading into this season, you know, given uh, a lot of those players probably weren't replaced in terms of quality. What was the mood like and, and the attitude amongst the players when you arrived? And, and obviously off the back of four losses, now a win, has that changed? 
I think the mood when I first come in, it was, you know, it, it was upbeat. I know that they'd lost the players and, and, and five key players. And, you know, I, I cited the other day to someone that we lost, we've lost 36 goals and 15 assists with three players. So when, you, when you're losing that out of your team, it's, it's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I came in, the, the mood of the players, I think, I think they needed the new person to come in during that time. I think they had one AFC Cup game. I think they had a, a, a League Cup game as well. Uh, so they needed that to happen. So there was kind of an uplift lift in their in their in their mood as a team. And ever since I've been in, the, the players have been working so hard. They're so uh, kind of understanding and receptive to to the information we're giving them. Uh, it's not always come off in games, so the understanding is not always as transmitted onto the pitch in, 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 into into the results. But we've always thought that the the performances are improving all the time. So. Obviously, with with four losses in the league on, on on the bounce, that confidence takes a little bit of a dip. But even even before the game against Newcastle, I, you know, I sensed the players were confident going into it. I sensed something different. I sensed the real uh, clarity in what they needed to do, and you know, it, it was it was pleasing to see all aspects of the game, uh, aspects where we dominated the play, but also where we had to dig in. You know, where Newcastle got back into the game and they showed good resilience at two one. To, to, to keep them out, but also go and get the uh, the third goal as well. Mm. Now, Mark, uh, like you, I, I'm from the mother country, uh, from the right side yeah. of the Pennines, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I remember when I arrived, it was a long time ago now, but um, it, it was, for me, in many ways, like watching football on the moon. It was, it was very difficult to adapt to a system where there was no promotion relegation. You had finals football, you had travel across the country. Uh, ground seemed to shift almost on a weekly basis. You had salary caps and squad limits. Has that been a difficult transition for you? And, and how much of it were you aware of before you took the job? Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Uh, I'm I'm kind of learning all the time. Uh, I, I was close to Monty, so I was always in touch. Me and Monty had a, a kind of a, a professional relationship since we kind of got connected with each other during it was during COVID. So we'd always been in touch with each other because we have kind of similar ideas on on football, and you know we, we, he's from England as well from from uh, the same area as me and so we, had, we always had that connection so I knew about the type of football I knew about how it works and things like that not as in-depth uh, as, as when you get over here and you actually live in it uh, but the support around the club for me personally you know, more important from, from Matt Simon as well who's who's kind of lived it as a player but also you know, has now transitioned into uh, the director of football so the, the support I'm getting from him and the rest of the staff is, is good listen it's when you have to travel uh, five hours on a plane for for a game, and then travel over to Bali, and then have to travel back from Bali as well, it's 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 a lot to contend with, and it's really really different to to back home in England. But it's enjoyable. I'm enjoying the learning experience. I'm, I'm learning all the time. I'm learning quickly, uh, and there's different challenges in football. Wherever you play, there's always challenges, and it's how you adapt to them and how you find solutions to work in the best possible way. And, uh, and that's what we're doing at the minute. We're, t- we're trying to stick to a certain processes in how we work, in how we, in how we coach the players, in how we teach the players, how we want them to play. And we've got to be consistent with what we do. Uh, but yeah, it's certainly an experience. It's certainly an experience. And you mentioned uh, Nick Montgomery there. Uh, the rumour is that you were recommended for the job by Nick, um, given your relationship, I, I'd imagine. Do you guys stay in touch? And, and did he offer you any advice when coming here? Yes, we, we we speak all the time. You know, we support each other from afar. I'm looking at his results. He's looking at my results, and we always 
we always exchange uh, messages. Uh, we have done for a couple of years now. Like I said, we, 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 I did a Zoom call for Wollongong Wolves uh, during COVID time. I knew uh, the technical director there, knew him man, and I was doing a Zoom call and Monty was on it. Uh, and, and he stayed on afterwards, and we connected from then. So, listen, we've got a, we, we, we've got a good good relationship. Like I said, we, we think uh, we think the same about a lot of things about football, and particularly developing players and and and, and working in that way. So, we always keep in touch via text. So, yeah, he's he's given me a little bit of info on the club before I came in. Like I said, I knew I knew a little bit as well. But yeah, we, we're always uh, like like anybody in football. You, you you meet people in football who you connect with, and then you stay in touch, even though you sometimes far apart. Broski, your technical advisor at Wollongong Wolves, you obviously weren't invited on that Zoom no, call. No, I missed that one. <laughs> technical advisor to the coach only. Yeah, that was, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, a, couple, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. It was uh, through, through someone called Neil Mann, and I think he was, yeah. you know, he, he was, uh, worked with someone I worked with at Leeds, and I was under-18s head coach then, and we did yeah. a, we did we did kind of a webinar for the coaches and and, and things like that. So uh, I remember Monty being on it and he stayed on at the end and we kind of connected after that. So yeah, yeah, not sure why you weren't invited. <laughs> <laughs> I th- to be fair, I think that was before Broski's time with the club. But uh, right, okay, uh, okay, Neil yeah. Mann's Neil Mann's a great fella, and uh, for for those of an older persuasion, his father Arthur Mann played for Manchester City back in the late nineteen sixties and early seventies. Right, uh, talking of uh, talking of history, Mark, um, I'm fascinated about your background before you came to Australia. We know you were at Leeds uh, in the days of both uh, Marcelo Bielsa and Jesse Marsh. Um, you, yeah. you didn't bring a bucket over, so you obviously didn't take that from from Marcelo. But what did what else did you learn from those two guys? Well, how long have we got? We've, <laughs> it's, you know, I've, I've learned a hell of a lot from 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 those two managers. To for me to be able to be in close proximity and work alongside those those managers more, Jesse, when I when I moved up from the under twenty threes to assist him as first team coach, but I was I was the under twenty threes manager under Marcelo and the way Marcelo worked was everything was integrated so I was on a training pitch with him every day and uh, you know I can remember asking one of his one of his staff members has any English coach in the past ever been this this close to Marcelo because he's got a real tight inner circles Marcelo his staff are all really tight and it's a, it's a real bit of a close shop and I asked the question has anybody been this close and, and got this close and they said no so I felt really really privileged to be able to uh, to be within within that kind of not in the inner circle, of course, but to be around training every day, to to have interactions with him, and to be able to learn from him and speak to him on a daily basis, and obviously see firsthand because everybody can assess how people play football uh, from afar, but until you're actually in it and you're living it day to day, to know the ins and outs of how things work and, and things, particularly in Marcelo's uh, principles of playing way and, 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 and philosophy of playing with the man-to-man system, it was fascinating. So I took a lot from that. I took a lot from that, and that kind of blended with how I see football as well. And then, kind of when Jesse came in, it was exactly the same. It was it's an extreme of football. I say with Marcelo, it was really, really man to man. So it's an extreme. With Jesse, it was kind of the Red Bull style of football, where it's really, really transitional, uh, really, really kind of compact and playing vertically. Uh, that Red Bull style. Uh, so again, I learned a lot from him as regards to football, but also his leadership skills and things like that, how he, how he wanted to lead and, and mould his team and work with his staff. So, yeah, in, in, in kind of a three-year three, three year period, I've kind of had a really, really fantastic insight to, to two top managers in, in, in world football. 
Now, you're preparing for an AFC Cup match tomorrow against Terengganu uh, and have a bit of a score to settle with them, seeing as they, they beat you guys 1-0 uh, back at their ground. Uh, has it been difficult? You mentioned it earlier about the travels. Has it been difficult trying to balance the two competitions? It certainly has, particularly the, the you know the the one in Bali where we played uh, we played in Perth and we stayed over in Perth afterwards and we travelled to Bali and then coming back from Bali, I think we arrived back on uh, on the Friday afternoon and then we were playing on 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 Sunday, so it was really really challenging to do that. But like anything, listen, listen this is this is this is a fo- this is football. Top teams all over the world have to deal with with things like that, and you can you can use it as an excuse, but. You know that's what we, we we never wanted to do with the players. We always focused on what what can we control. We can't control where we play and where we have to travel, but we can control how we recover, how we how we how we plan our sleep and and sessions and things like that. So I think if you if, if you if you have that kind of mindset to, to to challenges like that as regards to travel and and think of solutions how you, you can adapt as quickly as possible, then you give yourself a better chance. Uh, to do that, and I think we did that extremely well. Yeah, we didn't get the result after after we came back from from the cup, but I think the performance and 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 what have you was was really really positive. And you know, it is a challenge, but we we never ever want to use that as an excuse. And we always, like I said, just think about them solutions and and how we can adapt to it and and, and solve it. Yeah, and adapt. Uh, obviously, you'll have to do because um, after the game against Turangana, you, you're at home to Melbourne Victory, and then Western United. You've got two home games, I think, in five days. So, it, yeah. it's a very busy schedule. Um, prior to the weekend just gone, Mark, and I'm asking you this question without notice, and, and feel free to deny it. But there, there was a rumour that you'd sort of put your strikers on notice a bit that they needed to do more, and that the goals for column needed to improve. Uh, did they heed that warning to an extent on Saturday? Do you feel as though that message has got through if indeed it was passed on well we, we always talk about where we can improve and I, I listen I share that I, I share that with people I speak to in, in, in the media and, and stuff like that listen whatever we speak about as, as players to when we dissecting games and things like that uh, it stays within within our confines of our dressing room and our environment but you know I think I think it's clear for everybody to see that we, we needed to score more goals I think the stats are off the top of my head that we, we're, we're up there with the, with the most amount of shots in the in the league this season, and and, and to have our goal tally not not even not even started basically is, is, is kind of something we needed to improve. So yeah, I did challenge the, the strikers, and you know it, it was a case of the club had Jason Cummins last last year, and it's you know my mindset there for any striker when when they see. Someone like Jason Cummings, who scored the amount of goals he did, leave a club. I think the mindset from any striker at that club, still at that club, should be, you know, my hands are going up. I'm going to take his. I'm going to yeah. take his place. I'm going to be the one who steps forward. I'm going to be the one who who takes his place because I want I want that that starting jersey. And that's what I challenge the strikers to do. And I do that all the time. Of course, every, in every session we want to get better and develop. But I, I really wanted the strikers to really stand up and and, and put themselves forward to get that starting that starting shirt and that starting slot and, and then go and score goals. And, you know, one player who's done that is Alou. He, uh, he scored a couple of goals now. And, and, and another player who come to the fore was, was Jim, Jim Reese, And he, he traded really, really well in the kind of international break. And he put himself forward. And, you know, I, I was delighted for him that he came onto the pitch and, and, and scored in the derby. So, 
yes, I'm always challenging players, uh, and and you know I'm, I'm hoping we can still get more out of these players as well and develop them even more and and get them goals flowing. Because that's what we want want to do. We want to create chances. We want to score goals, and we want to play front foot football where where it's exciting for the fans to see. Jing Reese's celebration wasn't bad either. I don't know whether you approved it, but uh, <laughs> might get an injury if he does that, that every week. Locker, honestly, I, I didn't know he had that in the locker. And, and, and I actually missed it at the time because, you know, we were celebrating as a bench. So I kind yeah, of, yeah. it was only on the replay when, when I watched the game back that I seen his, his, yeah. his celebration. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I don't think I ever had the capabilities to even do anything like that. So, uh, fair play to him. Off you go. Mark, Mark just, just go and bring the Bielsa bucket. Then we'll, all be, we'll all be happy. We want to see you sat on that bucket <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> Yeah, Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Some fascinating insight that you've given us into what's going on at the Mariners. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck for your game against Terengganu tomorrow. Appreciate that. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate thanks, that. Mark. That's the uh, Central Coast Mariners head coach, Mark Jackson, with us. Thanks to Paramount Plus. The A-League, where stars are made every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. We're off to a quick break on the other side of it. We will do our round five review, including that big Sydney derby. Now our A-League round in review, thanks to Paramount+. Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-Leagues on Paramount+. Plus. Sorry, Broski. We're going to start with the Sydney derby on Saturday night. Right, Zach quick, Sapsford's <laughs> lone goal, proving to be the winner against the club where, of course, he spent some time as an academy player. Strangely enough, partnering Jaden Kaczarski up front. Um, Broski, what's going on with, with your beloved Sky Blues? They haven't won a derby at the football stadium since 2018, and they've lost two from two at home, all that on the back of that morale-boosting win in Adelaide. Well, I wish I knew. Um, I, I can't speak for, for obviously, uh, what, what, why we're not winning games at the moment. I, all I know is, is what it was like when we used to play them before, and that's all I can speak to, I guess, and just the way... The way we w- went into those games, the way we approached those games, and I've spoken about it last year after Marco Rudin came in and started really driving home that, you know... that Firing West, them up. Firing them up by using what it means to wear their colours and mm-hmm. who they're playing for. He did it again this week, didn't he? He did it again, and it works. You know, it gets a reaction. I said it last year. If Brandon Borello, who doesn't know Sydney's West, is from Adelaide, is talking about the West and what, and what it means for him to play for them, then... He's bought into it. They've all bought into it, so it works. And and Arnie was great at countering that with a hate for them that we matched. As soon as we went on the field, it, it was we wanted to kill. And I don't see that at the moment. I haven't seen it for a while. Uh, and look, I was at a wedding, so I mean, I wasn't at the game, and I was sort of watching it on the table, on and off. But looking back and and seeing that there was a yellow card in the ninetieth minute, you know. A derby, and it's not. Talk- <laughs> you, you think it should be in the first? Minute. I think it should be in the first five <laughs> minutes. You know, I think there should be a statement made with a big tackle. Mm. Uh, someone, and I know that I think Lacerda and Marcelo were going at it a little bit, which was great to see. But you need, you need. They're at your home ground, you know, and we haven't won a game there, and and that it doesn't sit well with me. You know, I just wonder about yeah. the mentality that they're going into these games. If 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 they're going in to kill. Your frustration is evident. Um, now, let's talk about the Wanderers, because in fairness to the Wanderers, another clean sheet. Their defence is one of the 
their major strengths and has been since Marco Rodin uh, took over. Strangely enough, I thought they had a little bit of good fortune uh, in the second half where Sydney really did take the game to the Wanderers and uh, that slip by Lawrence Thomas, how Jaden Kaczarski missed that chance, yep. goodness only knows. But you sort of make your own luck, don't you, when you when you are solid defensively and they are top of the shop, the Wanderers, uh, 11 points, unbeaten. They've only conceded two goals in five matches. They look pretty good. My question, I guess, is could Brandon Borello's foot injury have big consequences, not just for the Wanderers, of course, but for the Socceroos at the Asian Cup as well? Look, it can. I think we've, we've seen Borello's a great option um, for the Socceroos at the moment, but more importantly, I think, his role at the Wanderers. And um, look, he, he hasn't probably hit the heights uh, that we saw of him last year, but mm. I think that's because now he's got a lot more quality and support around him. So last year it was... Week to week, he was just doing incredible things and, and he was relied upon so heavily. But this year, you've got Antonson, Antonson there. You've got a lot of quality around him that um, that are helping as well. And, and that defence is, is no surprise. I mean, they started the season in a similar way last year, mm. um, you know, relying heavily on, on being solid and, and being hard to break down. And you're right, Kaczarski, it, it's hard to, to get upset at, at the chance he missed, the, the, just a little bit of composure was needed there because he's the sort of kid that gets half a chance and shoots and shoots with venom. And, and you like seeing that. You like that confidence in his game. But he did have a couple moments there where, you know, a, a cooler head might have played a pass in. Not in that moment. In that moment, he probably could have taken another touch and, and scored. But in another moment where they had a three on two, possibly four on two. But again, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Kaczarski and, and they did have a few good chances. But you're right. You get your you get a lot of luck when you're defending well and when you're solid. Um, and the Wanderers got a little bit. Lockie Brook and Milos Ninkovic still to come back into that Wanderers team. Not mm. bad. Uh, Central Coast Mariners three, Newcastle Jets one in the F3 derby. This was the one that switched from McDonald Jones, of course, the Saturday twilight game. Uh, Storm Rule, uh, Storm Rue, Will Wilson and uh, Jing Reese with the goals for the Mariners. Of course, we talked to Mark Jackson already about that game. Um, a word on the Jets: uh, Archie Goodwin got the let the uh, the lone goal for the Jets. Um, I think the the Jets fans want to see more of that. Some of the local players are getting involved. What do we make of Newcastle at the moment? Just one win from their first five matches. Are they about where they should be? I think so. I think it's going to take time for Robbie Stanton to, to really get the style of football that he wants to play. Uh, we're seeing that with a lot of clubs at the moment, uh, with new managers, but I thought that performance in particular was nowhere near what we've seen from him in the opening couple of rounds and and look he did admit that he, he blamed himself saying that he mm. pushed them too hard during during the break and, and that's how it looked it, it for a derby and you know it, it didn't look um they didn't come out firing they didn't it was very flat from them so hopefully just a one-off and I mean, for for the Mariners, they'll be thankful that that motocross happened because I think if it was in Newcastle, that that home crowd might have given them a bit of a lift. Well, here's some better news uh, for the Jets. I uh, spoke to uh, a source today who tells me that uh, uh, they are talking to a couple of consortiums about taking over the ownership of the club. Uh, they hope to have something in place before Christmas. I don't think it'll be announced before Christmas now. Um, but uh, my understanding is is that they are meeting with uh, people in and around the club this week and that a decision will be made fairly shortly, which is uh, good news for the Jets. Uh, MacArthur won at Melbourne Victory won on Friday night. Broski, uh, another frustrating night for the victory in the rain. Uh, the third game in a row, they were probably the better team. But once again, they, uh, they couldn't find the goals to get them the win. No, and they're really struggling with that. You know, since their first two games, they scored a lot of goals and were looking very good going forward. But since then, 
uh, 3-1 all draws. The last two against Adelaide and Wellington, I, I think they had a heap of chances and, and were just wasteful in front of goal. This one, not so much. I think MacArthur probably deserved um, deserved to win the game. Mm. And, and obviously it was a, a late-on goal that, that stopped that from happening. But there just seems to be a, a real reliance on Fornaroli off the start that he had. And you've got guys like Valupoli, Arzani, Economides, Brimmer. These guys need to be... St- chipping in a lot more regularly with some goals to help him. Otherwise, if they're waiting on Fornaroli to be scoring uh, every week, that, that it's going to be a difficult season for him. Bozidar Kryev has got no problem scoring. His third goal of the season, enough to defeat Melbourne City in Auckland. Um, Jamie McLaren having a penalty saved by Alex Paulson. We're just under 20 minutes to play. Uh, he's had an incredible start to the season, the young uh, mm. Phoenix goalkeeper. And, and they are probably the surprise packets, aren't they? Unbeaten Giancarlo Italiano's side. They are, in, I guess, when you look at how they've gone as well, because they haven't been overly great in terms of performances. Away from home, they're just sort of grinding out results, don't really seem keen, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, to, to really take the game and win it. They just don't want to lose it. Whereas at home, they've been strong. Again, not overly convincing. But while, you know, you look at other clubs and, and coaches that are, are struggling to, you know, imprint their style and get wins at the same time, uh, Italiano's doing it great. You know, while they're not where they want to be yet, there's enough quality to be picking up wins, picking up results, and, and they're, they're, going, they're flying at the moment. Uh, Brisbane Raw 2, Perth Glory 1 on Sunday afternoon. Uh, obviously, a game marred by a very poor pitch. We're going to talk about that a bit later on on the show. Uh, the women are to play on that afterwards as well. Uh, goals from Henry Hoare and Jay O'Shea uh, before Alexander Sushnia got one back for Perth uh, late on. Uh, Brisbane going pretty well. We've spoken about them a lot in recent weeks. Perth now winless in their last 13 trips outside WA and they've got three more visits to New South Wales before the end of the year so Alan Stagic really has to do something about that. He does and we spoke to him pre-game about about that um, that run that they've been on and he you know says that it, that it doesn't get mentioned and they're not really overly concerned with it it's all about the performance but it has to be playing a role even psychologically because they gave they offered zero in that game for me Perth outside of the last minute when they got that goal and, and looked like they were could possibly steal a, a point but outside of that Brisbane all over them uh, the pitch wasn't great but both sets of players had to deal with it Perth I just thought were, were very fat uh, flat very mm. disappointing um, and yeah I mean they really need to work on that uh, that away form yeah they do uh, Western United won Adelaide three rounded out uh, the weekend's action a good bounce back from the Reds after that uh, thumping by Sydney FC but uh, you're concerned for Western United is, is pressure starting to mount a bit on John Aloisi four losses on the spin now sitting bottom mm-hmm. of the league after that opening day success against City which is where it seemed to be going so well. They made a host of changes, rejuvenated the squad in, in the mm. off-season, started well, and, and four losses since. So, look, it's hard to see. It almost seems like a, a Melbourne victory scenario from last year. When you look at the quality they've got, Pena, Rukovica coming back, Lockie Wales, Thurgate's come in. It just seemed like this with Bottage as well. A lot of youth, a lot of good young players, um, you know, to, to really do something this season. But... 
after that start has just gone downhill from there. It sure has, but there's still plenty of time to turn it around. Uh, that was the round and review, thanks to Paramount Plus, the A-League, where stars are made every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. This weekend, Friday night, it's Brisbane Roar against Western Sydney Wanderers. Top of the table clash Saturday, Western against Wellington and Sydney against Perth. On Sunday, another doubleheader, the Mariners against Victory and then the Jets against Melbourne City. And a game on Monday that's been rearranged, MacArthur against Adelaide, that due to the Bulls travelling to Bangkok for that AFC Cup tie against Shan United. Another quick break and then it's time for Simon Spiel. Now, time for this week's Simon Spiel. Now, I've held back on doing editorial pieces on this show so far this season. Sadly, in this country, to offer forthright opinions on football and try to hold the game's leaders to account is normally the precursor to some angry phone calls, threatening messages or reminders about who, in inverted commas, pays your wages. This is how the media has changed over the last decade, not just in sport, as the fourth estate becomes increasingly beholden to business interest rather than public interest. The Western world is a much poorer place for it, in my opinion. Part of our job should be to speak truth to power. But this weekend's A-League action presented a problem that can no longer be ignored. On the one hand, Saturday night showed another glimpse of the competition's potential. A healthy crowd at Allianz Stadium, a game between two rivals which gave it meaning, played in cool temperatures, under lights, the Sydney derby showed all that the A-League can be. Sadly, Three of the other games showed what the A-League all too often is. On Sunday, Brisbane Raw hosted Perth Glory, a two o'clock kick-off in sweltering temperatures on a patchwork quilt of a pitch that had the players slipping and sliding all over a surface that was quite frankly appalling. The fans, meantime, tried to avoid third-degree burns in a stadium that has little cover for those in the lower tiers. On Saturday, the F3 derby had to be switched to Gosford due to a motocross event that had, surprise, surprise, left McDonald Jones Stadium a mess. No apology was issued to the inconvenienced Jets supporters. Whether it will be in any fit state for this weekend's match with Melbourne City is anyone's guess. Finally, back on the Sunday, Western United entertained Adelaide at Mars Stadium in Ballarat, an AFL and cricket oval where you almost need binoculars to see the players. That game attracted less than 2,500. MacArthur, only slightly better for their Friday clash with Melbourne Victory, played in rain at a venue that, again, has very little cover for fans. Now, stadiums are a very tricky proposition in Australia, of course, due to the obsession with multi-purpose venues. But at what point do we say enough is enough? These problems have been with us for 18 years, and I think it's high time we tried to find some solutions. In Brisbane... Blind Freddy knows that Perry Park is the answer. Perhaps if Brisbane United get the nod for the second division, they and the Raw might work together and get Football Queensland on board and the NPL clubs to present a united front for Perry Park's redevelopment. Three tiers of football utilising a football-specific venue all year round. Is that such a utopian dream? Now, just under 10,000 were at the ground on Sunday, which was a decent enough crowd. Imagine that at a 15,000 boutique venue with the noise bouncing off the roofs of the stands, or even a Brisbane derby. Instead, it got lost at cavernous Suncorp, where most people were too hot to join in anyway. Some legacy after a World Cup, which finished exactly 100 days ago today. Similarly, if a game needs drinks breaks, then the kickoff is too early. If that means double-headers, so be it. 
Football fans here are notoriously hard to please, but they are going to have to get used to crossover matches at some point anyway as the competition expands. Let's get them acclimatised now and help the on-field product. This is not cricket. We have half-time, not drinks breaks. And if we're presented with a pitch like that, we should simply refuse to play and demand uh, compensation for non-delivery of goods. Meantime, is there merit in the new Jets owners, when they might arrive, exploring the number two showground in Newcastle to develop in modular fashion in the way Vancouver FC have done in Canada at a fraction of the cost of a more traditional stadium? McDonald Jones, even when the pitch doesn't resemble a hippo's paradise, is way too big for the Jets. Others around the league play out of stadiums that are too big or else have little cover. Westpac Stadium, too big for the Phoenix. Amy Park, too big for City. Mariners, right size, but little cover for lower tiers or behind the goal. MacArthur, what happened to the redevelopment plan for Campbelltown Stadium? Allianz, derbies aside, still too big for Sydney FC. Now, Western United get a lot of stick, but they have, at the very least, a vague plan. They have constructed a rather basic training venue as an interim home before their long-awaited stadium is ready. Maybe it never will be, but at least they've showed ambition. And that really is the crux of my spiel this week. What is the plan to grow the A-League, other than to sell off licences? What is the longer-term strategy to solve some of our stadium and infrastructure problems? And where is the targeted plan to increase crowds at the lower-performing clubs like Weston and MacArthur, both of whom, by the way, are averaging under 3,000 this season. Remember, too, we kicked out North Queensland Fury in 2011, who averaged 4,245 in their final season, way ahead of the two latest expansion clubs. Now, some say we're too obsessed with crowd numbers, and I've got some sympathy for that view, but if we are serious about growth, then it is one of the barometers. Some clubs need to be put on notice, and some stadium hirers need to be read the Riot Act. I'd like to see APL take the lead, maybe Stephen Conroy or Nick Garcia or whoever's taken over as the spokesperson post-Danny Townsend, and also come out in full support of the National Second Division in a show of unity and good faith that long-term we will have a connected pyramid and go into battle for better facilities as a united sport. Because what we saw this weekend simply isn't good enough after 18 years of a professional competition. Until all parts of the game start working together for common solutions rather than against each other for narrow self-interest, then we'll continue to be treated with disdain and our game and its supporters will continue to suffer. That's my opinion. Broski, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, not, not to add. That was perfectly said. Look, to be honest, if you do get any criticism and anybody getting upset at you, mate, uh, so be it. I think it, those things need to be said. We've been sitting here for a few years now talking about the same thing and, and, and the same issues keep rearing their heads. So you've highlighted there what are important er, uh, areas that our game needs to work on. And, and you're right. We don't have... We haven't heard a plan. We don't know a plan. That communication hasn't been there. And hmm. stadiums is, is, a, is a big issue. We're whinging and talking about it every year. And just your last point about the game coming together at, at, at all levels, it starts there. You know, the, the moment we realise how big a code we can actually be and put the game first, which unfortunately, I mean, the reason you get those texts is because people aren't willing to. People are worried about their own jobs, worried about keeping themselves where they are um, and don't put the game first. And that is a, a real problem. Hmm. 
modular stadiums. And I don't know if you've seen the uh, the the, the mock-up of the stadium at, at Vancouver in Canada. It looks absolutely terrific, and it's it's cost a fraction of what it's uh, cost to build a traditional stadium. And we know in Australia that's you know obviously. Uh, the, the big 50, 60,000 seater stadiums are the norm, but it doesn't always have to be that way. We can build small and grow it at, at some point when the crowds are ready. Anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts, of course, on any of those topics. Uh, 0457736736 or send us a tweet at Global Game SEN. We're off to another break. On the other side of it, we will talk Premier League with Spencer Pryor. Yes, it's our Premier League update with Spencer Pryor. Thanks to Schnitz. Got that winning taste right now. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels, made fresh, made just for you. And Broski says he's feeling hungry now. How are you, Spencer? Good evening, gentlemen. (laughs) Good to have you on the show. Um, Before we get into the Premier League action, uh, we'll start on a rather more serious note. The passing of uh, Terry Venables this week at the age of 80. Obviously uh, had involvements with both English and Australian football. Uh, what are your memories of him and, and what will be his legacy to the game? I, um, uh, it, it's, it's devastating. I mean, he's, he had such a wonderful time. And, you know, the, the England 96 team, were all, you know, that was a wonderful side. And he was, he was ahead of his time as a manager. I actually got to... Um, spend some time with him when I was um, I was 17 and I broke my leg at South End and I actually got to go and do my rehab at Tottenham because Terry Fennick had the same injury and he was a manager at the time so I got to sort of get introduced and be around and he'd come up and talk to, to myself and Terry and just see how we were travelling and how we were getting on and you know he, he, he came across as a very, very humble man, always had time for players, and I think was ahead of his time in terms of his man management style and how he dealt with players. Mm. He was very ahead of his time in lots of ways. I mean, he was an entrepreneur uh, as long ago as the 1960s. He was part owner of a nightclub. He co-wrote uh, the TV cop series Hazel. Uh, he was uh, a man of many, many talents, um, I, I got to interview him many, many years ago, a couple of occasions when he was England manager, and uh, you could sense his, his charisma, and he played the media so well. Uh, smart guy. Knew that if he got the media on side, of course, it was more difficult to smash him once results went south. <laughs> I think oh, there's wait, a big... The uh, way, mate. Yeah, I think there's a big lesson in there for a lot of managers <laughs> these days. Anyway, uh, rest in peace, Terry. We will miss you. Now, Spenner... Uh, the big game of the weekend, Manchester City won, Liverpool won. I stayed up for this. Very frustrating from a blue point of view. I'm sure Broski thinks differently. Erling Haaland's first half goal cancelled out by Trent Alexander-Arnold. But come on, we should have won, shouldn't we? It was an absolute smash and grab by Liverpool, wasn't it? Let's be honest, <laughs> Broski. You know it. We all know it. All the Liverpool fans all know it, but they'll take it. So they, yeah. um, it's, a, it's definitely two points dropped for Man City, but... It was it was a really dominant performance, but I thought I thought Trent Alexander's goal was was class. I mean, it was a class finish. He should have been tracked into the box, but you know, Doc Docu pretty much ripped him a new one for the most part of the game defensively. So he just decided he better go and have a bit more attacking. And 
you know, it was it was a wonderful goal, and probably you know, I, I won't say it was it was a fair result because it, I, I just thought Man City completely dominated. Given you know, given the way that they set the team up, the way they controlled the game, I thought playing a Kanji in in that that holding midfielder role was a bit interesting compared mm. to Stones in there. But you know, it, well, again, Stones Stones is not quite fit yet, is he? Well, he was on the bench, mm. so you know, you stick him on the bench, and it's you you don't put injured players on the bench, so. Um, I guess if he's fit enough to go on the bench, he's fit enough to play. But I thought Kanji did well in there, and yeah, they look they look dom- dominant. Docker's Docker's some player, eh? I mean, the way he, he looks so dangerous every time he gets the ball. You guys weren't watching the game together in what, what do you call it, Spenner? The <laughs> no, we didn't, uh, we didn't. Man City onesies, <laughs> eh? matching onesies. <laughs> we do together. We do oh, occasionally no, watch a game together. Good but... mate, good, good mate. <laughs> well done, mate, Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal took full advantage, battling past uh, Brentford in a physical yeah. encounter, winning there with Guy Havertz's winner coming very late. Uh, but that moves them to the top of the table for the first time this year. Yeah, they I mean, again, a, a, a really important result for them. Clean sheet again. Uh, I, I just think you know he's the he's the fastest. I think he's got more wins than that. He's the highest uh, Arsenal manager with the most wins in his first two hundred games or something, or the first two hundred wins. It, mm. It's a it's a phenomenal record. That when you look at the success that Arsene Wenger had, and and he's come in and he's actually doing better than Arsene Wenger did. So I just think I think it's we saw what last year how close they got and fell away this year I think they'll be they'll they'll be still there or thereabouts but I, I again I don't know if it'll be enough to finish above Man City but they're going to push them all the way and they keep learning all the time and improving so yeah big win for them now what's happened to Tottenham uh fallen to their third loss in a row against Asabilari and fairness in, in very good form themselves at the moment it it seems to me, I mean, the early part of the season, you remember watching that game against Liverpool where really they they got all the luck going. And at the moment, it seems to be against them. Son Heung-min, three goals ruled out by VAR. They've got such a long injury list. And if all that wasn't bad enough, their next fixture is away to Manchester City next weekend. And and the wheels are well and truly coming off. Um, but Ange won't change the way they'll play and he won't change the approach whether it's I, I I actually think Tottenham will be better for this in the long run across the course of the season because you know it actually gives them a bit more depth. You know, there's players getting games that wouldn't normally be getting games. You can't mm. rely on the same eleven players starting every game for 38 games a season. So I actually think they'll be better for this coming into the Christmas period. And, and you know as well as I do, Simon, that like December and January can really sort out where you're going to be in the table. So, yeah, they had a brilliant start. We we said that right from the get-go, but it was just a brilliant start. So, yeah, it's been a blip. I think the next two months will really define how good they actually are. And come the end of January, that's where we'll really see Tottenham as to where I think they'll sort of finish in the season. At Man United, they got their first uh, real big win, convincing win, three uh, 0 at Goodison Park, and um, what what a goal by Garnacho! That uh, bicycle, oh, incredible. It, incredible. That reminds me of the Mark Hughes goal for Wales against Spain many years ago. Do you remember that one, Spinner? Yeah, I do. 
he was some player when he marked yeah. he was a, um still not sure it's as good as um, Trevor Sinclair's one for QPR but that's my opinion but uh, <laughs> okay. no it was it was some goal and, and, and uh, yeah it was it was an important win for him and, and not just like you say not just to, to get a win but get a big win because they've been jagging wins and scraping by so you know maybe maybe they've come through that really awkward patch in terms of you know self belief in terms of getting the turning the performances in or they're getting the results but now they're starting to put in the performance it was poor from it was a poor you know, they played poor opposition we have to be be honest about that we had a real off day but it was a good win a good win for man united do you think from Everton's point of view, I'm not, I'm not uh, decrying United's win at all. They were, they were far the better team. But uh, Everton, obviously, there's a lot of emotion around Everton at the moment because there's 10-point deduction. Uh, sometimes that can galvanise a team and make them you know, really want to fight even harder. But they, they almost seemed as though they were a bit deflated by it. Is well, they've come out and talked the talk, Simon, and everybody mm. was saying in the last week, in last week, this is going to galvanise the players and the support. It will definitely galvanise the supporters. There's no doubt about that. And everyone, you know, all the you know, we're, everyone's like it's going to pull the players closer to the fans, and everyone's going to rally. But it wasn't there on Saturday. It wasn't there at the weekend. Um, I, I, I think it's been a massive distraction. We can't avoid it. It has been a massive distraction for the players. But again, I don't, I'd rather, I'd rather give credit to Man United for their performance than actually say it was Chris Everton was so poor on the day. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about that. I'm, mm. ju- I'm just interested in the psychology of a footballer. And it's a question for you, Broski, as well. And uh, obviously, we don't yet have promotion relegation in, in the A-League. But overseas, of course, it's the norm. When you're at a club like Everton and you've been struggling for, let's be honest, the last two or three seasons, they've been involved in relegation scrap after relegation scrap. Yep. Now, this season, they had 14 points. They're mid-table. They're not going to win the Premier League, but they were doing okay. And all of a sudden, you're dumped back down into that bottom three again. It's it's almost like a double whammy when you're a club like Everton. I mean, it would affect any club, wouldn't it? But when you're a club like Everton that is looking to climb out of that uh, continual battle for survival, this is just like an almost you know big fist coming and putting your back in your place, isn't it? That's what it must feel it, like. It, it is, but they've been playing really good football over the last yeah. sort of six, seven weeks on, all right? So I, I think if they stick with the print, and, and this could we, it could just be a one-off, right? It could just be that Man United were a, a much better side on the day. But if mm. if they stick with the principles that they've done over, and, and Sean Dyche is... is He's nailed on in terms of the, the method and the message that he delivers, right? And he, he's not going to suddenly panic and go and do anything different. But the players, as long as they stick and keep playing the way that they've been playing for the, the six weeks before this week, I, I, I still think, I, I actually think they'll be all right. And I don't think it's going to be a struggle season for them. I, st- I think there's, there's three way worse teams in the league. But you're right in terms of, oh my God, here we go again in a relegation yeah. battle. And that was sort of the point I was making. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. get, you do, you, you can have that, you can have that mindset. But I'm sure that Sean Dyche will will not even be thinking that. And that is not, that's not the message that is going to be floating around the changing room. And if any players think it, they better keep it to himself. Because if Sean Dyche starts hearing and saying it, they'll be gone in a heartbeat. Yes. 
Yes, don't mess with the ginger Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere, Newcastle scored a big win over Chelsea, 4-1. That keeps them in touch with the top four ahead of their massive Champions League game against PSG this week. Uh, down at the bottom, uh, Fulham against... Not that they are down at the bottom. Two mid-table teams, really. Fulham against Wolves, 3-2 for the Londoners in a game, again, with big VAR controversy. Uh, Luton making a fist of their relegation scrap. They were one, uh, the only one of the promoted sides to win at the weekend over Crystal Palace. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Unfortunately, Spenner, we've, uh, we've dribbled on as per usual, but we could go all night. Speak to you next week, buddy. See you, mate. Lovely to talk to you, boys. Good night. <laughs> that's our Premier League update with Spencer Pryor. Thanks to Schnitz, home of fresh, golden, handcrafted schnitzels. Are you still hungry, Broski? <laughs> uh, Champions League this week, Wednesday, AC Milan versus Dortmund, PSG against Newcastle, Barcelona, Porto, Man City, RB Leipzig, all at 7am. Thursday, Galatasaray, Man United, uh, then Real Madrid, Napoli, Arsenal against Lens, and Benfica against Inter. And of course, a reminder, you can watch uh, or listen, I should say, the to the Premier League every week live on SEN this weekend. Arsenal against Wolves Saturday morning. Forest against Everton. Newcastle, Man United. That's a big game. And then on Monday morning, it's Liverpool against Fulham and Man City, Tottenham. All those matches available across the SEN network via the SEN app. I always imagine Alicia Carnivus dancing around her living room when that music comes on. How are you, Alicia? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I do have a little bit of a bop while that plays out to enjoy it's it. It's such bit of a 90. good tune. Yes, it's <laughs> such a good track. Uh, let's talk women's football now. Uh, all the talk about the pitch at Suncorp on Sunday has probably been dominated by the men's game, but... Um, the women's game was also staged on that horrible surface. And given the amount of ACL injuries that the women's game is suffering at the moment, that was not good uh, for either Brisbane Raw or Adelaide United as well. At least you live in that neck of the woods. Um, is the solution Perry Park for you? Oh, it's always Perry Park for me up here. It's whether or not we can ever get it over the line. And I mean... Yeah. Uh, going back to the point of the ACLs, I mean, I look at that as just a bit of irresponsibility um, to put players, men or women, out onto that pitch over the weekend. And mm. having had a, a few chats with um, with people in and around the Raw, just um, sometimes the lack of support, I guess, from the APL is, is tricky because you've represented with a, a pitch and as what I would call a subpar standard. It was appalling. Um, and I, I just don't think we as a league should be accepting that as well from from stadiums or, or facilities we we have a right to say it needs to be better and we have a right to say that um yeah, you know we have a standard which is really really important not just for for fans but also for for players i think that's really the focus of, of welfare here as well for them so um but it was a difficult one over the weekend but um yeah tricky tricky set of circumstances that's for sure here, here. Um, now, talking of injuries, uh, the Matildas beset by injuries as they uh, build up to the friendly series with Canada. Mackenzie Arnold, Charlotte Grant, Holly McNamara, and now Sam Kerr are all going to be missing. Um, who do you see getting the nod up top? Are we going to see Caitlin Ford? Is it going to be Mary Fowler? Is it going to be Remy Simpson or somebody else? Look, I'd like to see Remy Simpson uh to go up top to be absolutely fair I think she's been playing well she's been in good form um, my preference is to keep Caitlin Ford out on that left wing I think she's been exceptional there for club and country she's in the form of her life keep her there why disrupt 
the apple cart. And going back to our point over the last couple of weeks as well, Simon, we're sort of infringing on a team that's going to be etched with a few retirees, right, uh, after the Olympics next year. Apart from the immediate retirees, which will no doubt come, we do have an ageing squad. So why not start to, to blood those younger players into those key positions and, um, and start to get them exposed in international fixtures, decent international fixtures, especially against Canada as well, just to give them a taste for the quality, but also to see how they fit in in those key roles as well. And and just on Tony Gustafsson's uh, situation, he continues to be linked uh, with a Swedish men's job. And even though the FA have been quick to reaffirm his commitment to the Matildas, uh, we, with all this talk, I mean, what's your gut feel on his future? Yeah, look, um, I my gut feel is that Tony's looking, right? He's, he's definitely looking. This is the second rumour in as many weeks. US women's national team, Swedish men's team. Um, it's I think we can safely say it's no secret that he's looking at his options. Um, I think the the difficult thing for me in all of this to understand is is what the Federation are doing. Are we keeping him or are we allowing him to go post-Olympics? If we're allowing him to go, let's, let's just call it because the, the key thing for Australian football, particularly Australian women's football, is who's the successor after Gustafsson? Um, and that's a really tricky one as well because whoever this successor now is, is will get a team in what I call the transition phase. Um, it's a very different team to what Gustafsson inherited. Um, and it'll be a di- very different look Matilda's for a little while. So if that's where this is all headed, let's, let's call it now. Let's say that it's Gustafsson's last major tournament in mid-next year and, and start to also get some plans in place for the future. If he goes, Alicia, who would be your pick to succeed him? Oh, the conversations are rife at the moment. I, I honestly um, would love to see a, a women, a woman coaching women, if I can get that out right. But whether or not we have that available to us, I'm not sure. Um, the question is, who else is available for the Federation to choose from? I don't think we've mm. got the likes of Joe Montemuro available anymore. Um, what about what about Tanya It's a conversation that that's in conversation. That name has come across my table a few times in the last couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to the A-League women. Uh, by the way, a word on Christine Sinclair, who's going to retire age 40 on the back of that uh, two-game series against Canada. Broski, you, you pointed out that the stadium is going to be named after her for the, for the series. For is the that night, right? yes. For the, the night. For the night, they're changing the, uh, the stadium to Christine Sinclair Place. Brilliant. She deserves that. That's very that. cool. She absolutely does. Yeah. Awesome. Record number of goals scored for any player, men or women, 190, which is absolutely extraordinary. Wow. Um, Alicia, the A-League women's uh, Perth Glory's unbeaten start is over. They were defeated 2-1 by Wellington Phoenix. So we've got new leaders in Melbourne City who showed they can shrug off Holly McNamara's injury with a big win over Sydney FC at the weekend. Yeah, they looked really, really sharp, City, must admit. Like, very, very good form. I thought Grasso was exceptional. So, Grosso. Policina as well, I thought she was in really good form. So, it's it's good science for City that they have goal scorers all over the park. I think that's important, particularly after losing Holly. But very, very convincing, I thought, against Sydney, particularly with their passages of play. And it was a cracking game in Canberra, seven-goal thriller as the uh, Jets took the points over Canberra United. Uh, Serena Bolden getting getting a double on debut and another goal for Emily Van Egmont as well. Uh, they're sitting mid-table at the moment. From what you've seen uh, from the Jets, uh, you know, can they make their third finals appearance this year? 
It'd be cool if they did. I mean, just getting EVE and Serena involved in, in that framework, I think, has really boosted um, the, the Jets. But how that then builds into the season as well becomes very, very important. I thought Serena Bolden looked really, really good on the weekend and her finishing that second goal, that little chip of the keeper, I thought was really smart and really efficient. So if, if they can build into this with the likes of Emily Van Egmond and her distribution, I think the Jets can, can be a real uh, threat come finals time. And it's just all about cohesion with those teams and how they build over the next three, four, five weeks, absolutely, and then into the new year. And just a final one on the weekend's action. Uh, last year's grand finalist, Western United, uh, lost 2-0 at home to the Wanderers. They're eight, Sydney on ninth, but they do have some games in hand. Uh, is this a case of second season syndrome for Western? You know what? I think it is. Um, last year, they were just such a, a joy to watch. Great, great uh, maiden season that they had from the get-go. They were very, very dominant. But they just haven't found their feet um, in, in this second season. And I guess the disruption with change of coach as well always just creates a little bit of, of change in, in the way players are playing, but also in and around the club and, and the cohesion on pitch. So hopefully they can find their feet sooner rather than later but it's, it's definitely been a, a very shaky start and very quickly sorry Brosky, go yeah, on. first versus second this week do uh do perth glory bounce back or melbourne city roll on who wins that one for you you know i want to say perth but i think sydney, <laughs> they just look so sharp they look really sharp against sydney and i think it's going to be the match of the round in my opinion but i think it's um city will get get the three points Brilliant stuff. Uh, FA Women's Super League in the weekend just gone. Sam Kerr and Courtney Nevin both on target in Chelsea's 5-2 win over Leicester. Sadly for Courtney, he was in her own net. <laughs> Elsewhere, a clean sheet for Tegan Micah for Liverpool. They defeated Brighton 4-0 for whom Charlie Rule played. Uh, Cora Cooney Cross, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford all in Arsenal's team is there. Uh, they beat West Ham 3-0. And Alana Kennedy and Mary Fowler the same for Man City as they hammered Spurs by seven goals to nil. Alicia, time has beaten us once again. We will speak to you next week. Thank you. See you next week. No worries, guys. Chat soon. That's Alicia Carnavas with the women's game. Another quick break. On the other side of it, we will answer some of your texts and tweets. Time for the next uh, few minutes to answer some of your questions. Uh, we've had this one from Jelly Pimp. <laughs> I like that Jelly name. Pimp. Uh, who are your favourite one-season wonders in the A-League? For me, says Jelly Pimp, Adrian Mizjewski absolutely tore it up. What about you, yes, Broski? Uh, for me, personally, um, I'm going to go Janinho. Janinho, uh, yeah, back in the day, 07 yeah. for Sydney FC. Yeah. He was a great player. Great player. Lovely fella, too. Who have you got? I've got a few, actually. Uh, Fernando Brandan for Melbourne City, 16-17. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed yeah. watching him play. Uh, Nicolas Martinez, same season for the Wanderers, little number 10, uh, Argentine. Yep. Patricio Perez, do you remember yep. him? Played for the Mariners. The Mariners. 10 oh, 11. Yeah, penalty yep, yep, against yep. Sydney FC with a blatant dive. Yes. I, I think they changed, didn't they change the rules on simulation I after think they that? Did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Richie Delatz for Melbourne City. He was good. Okay. Attacking right fullback. Yep. I think he was top scorer for a while for Melbourne City. Um, Felipe as well, I remember, for Wellington Phoenix. Yeah. That's going back a bit further, 07, 08. And Vitor Saba. He was a good player. 2014, Sent off in 15. a derby yeah. Yeah. for that 
challenger yeah. on Terry Antonis from memory. And, yes, I, and yes. I think he, fe- I think he fell out with Tony Popovich, didn't he? Which meant he only stayed for the one season. Well, not many lasted more than one season <laughs> under Popovich. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, and sadly had to retire before the age of 30 due to an undetected heart problem. Oh, wow. um, caught up with him a couple of years ago, actually. Very nice chap, Vitor Saba. Uh, what about this one from uh, Billy? Guys, watched Western United last week in Ballarat. It was the worst atmosphere I have seen and an insult to the league. Well, yeah, I mean, we we sort of covered this, Billy, in terms of we, we need to improve crowds and, and certainly Western United and, and MacArthur are an issue in that regard. But uh, as I said earlier, my own personal opinion, I don't know if you agree, Broski, is I think at least Western are trying to do something. They're trying to build something. They're not always succeeding, but they're trying to build something in their locale, which will certainly help. No, that, look, and from a MacArthur point of view, like I, I know a lot of people that live out there, so, and I know that they're very active in the community in trying to get fans there. Um, I still think, well, I mean, they're getting the results now, you know, but still the crowds aren't coming, so... Yep, it's, it needs work. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Stuart, our friend from the People's Democratic Republic of Victoria, always signs off that way. Uh, Simon, seven games in Brisbane during Women's World Cup. Average crowd, 44,000. Tourists spending millions. Worldwide exposure. And we're rewarded by playing on a pitch that looked like it just finished the annual potato harvest. We never learn, says Stuart. Well, again, we've sort of covered this in, in great depth. But, um, I mean, I can only say that I agree. But I think... You know, we we knew it was going to be like this. Uh, you know, there was all this talk of legacy, but um, has it really appeared? There's been some, obviously. Uh, I was told today $450 million has been invested in the game across the country on the back of, of the Women's World Cup. Obviously, we got the home in the Matildas. There were improvements to HBF Park, to Amy Park, to Highmarsh Stadium. Um, but it doesn't seem a whole lot when uh, some of the other sports are getting right. billions for redevelopment and we need to fight an awful lot harder but we need to fight smarter as well we need to fight together because doing it all differently and alone as Annika Wells the sports minister has said is getting us nowhere uh Patrick from St Peter's in Sydney hi Simon and Broski love the show as a Melbourne City fan I'm wondering why City can't play more of their games at Oakley for example could the MPL and APL team uh, team up in getting the teams to play at the MPL venues, or is it tricky due to the lack of facilities and t- ticket requirements and TV cameras needed to make it a good product, etc., etc.? Uh, certainly, part of that, Patrick, is to do with having to get um, uh, stadiums up to snuff in terms of broadcast. There's all sorts of issues with lighting and uh, broadcast platforms for cameras, etc., etc. Uh, there are also, <clears throat> I think, sadly, just some political problems between mm. A-League clubs and NPL clubs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure all the NPL clubs who generally have their own venues, albeit some of them rather small, bros- uh, uh, mulchy, but they don't necessarily want the A-League clubs. If there's a will, there's a way. Mm. You managed to get a full broadcast out of Pop and Detta Park at Mount Druitt this year for the Australia Cup, so it can be done. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... I remember City thinking about taking some, there were discussions taking some games to Summer Street to play at the Melbourne Knights ground, that fell through for whatever reason, I, I think it comes back to your point, Simon, we're very good at uh, fighting against each other rather than working together for the good of the game at times uh, This one from FP Guys, can you address the elephant in the room? I have not watched a game of A-League since it went to Channel 10 and Paramount, people can only have so many streaming services, as an NRL person that loves this sport, the A-League is not on my agenda 
It's not available on my subscription service, so I have no interest. Well, thanks for letting us yeah, know, geez. FB. Um, <laughs> if the A-League is not on your agenda, then I, I don't really know what you want the game to do. It's can, on Channel 10, which is a free-to-air station. Can I make a devil's advocate point Please here? Please do. Are we, are we hidden? And I know, you know, you guys obviously um, are connected to, to Paramount. Is it a problem that the game's hidden behind a streaming service that... Unless you have the A-League, not too many people have. Mm. Is that an issue? And the fact you can't get it in pubs and clubs as well... Well, is, pubs, I think it, is pubs and clubs could certainly be worked upon. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But, I, you know, I, I don't really know what the game is supposed to do. Uh, you know, it's, its previous broadcaster didn't want it. No, I So, you know, it's moved away from there. Uh, do, do people expect it to be given away for free? Mm. Um, that's not going to happen. The game has to survive. It does need money. Uh, this was the best deal on the table. Um, obviously, it hasn't been all smooth sailing throughout the course of the journey. We all know that. Um, but, you know, there are games on free-to-air on, yes. Channel, 10, on right. Channel 10, on 10 Play. You know, you can get your football fix if you're interested. Obviously, we would love people to subscribe to Paramount+, Plus, and, and many people do. Um, but I, I think this is, you know, typical of of many people who just say, well, it's t it's all too difficult. Mm. There are too many streaming services. Well, <laughs> you know, that may be the case, but uh, the, the game has to survive mm. financially. And um, this was the best deal on offer. Um, and, you know, we'd love people to support it. But, you know, it's understandable. People only have so much disposable income. Um, but if you say you're an NRL person that loves yeah. this sport, but the A-League is not on your agenda, I think that's sort of... That's like that's that's telling everybody really <laughs> that you're not that bothered, um, but we would love to have you watch games. So you know, maybe get to a stadium. You know, if you, if you live it. in if you live in Sydney or Brisbane, then that's the best way to watch football anyway. Go out to a stadium and watch a game. Um, this one's a little bit controversial as well. Uh, just to finish off, I'm excited about the new national second tier. Says Darren. I'd like to adopt one as my second team in addition to my beloved Sydney FC, but I keep asking myself whether we will return to old soccer and not more new football. Uh, it goes on to explain the logic behind creating the A-League was to get a team involved for each city, concentrating on including all the fan bases, um, and he feels that this will be a return uh, to the ethnic clubs, in his words. Well, you know, some of those fans of the old ethnic clubs have not come on board with the A-League. They stay with the club that they supported all their life. And I understand that, quite frankly. You know, I w that's like asking me to change from Manchester City. I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I, I get that. And I think it's time, really, that we united the pyramid mm. uh, rather than continue to exist in this big division mm. that has held the sport back for so many years, Broski. Agree. And I think it's a, a different generation as well. The the old NSL, um, it, it's been years since that um, that was, was flourishing. So I think it, there's different... There's a lot more uh, youth coming through now and, and different people who are, are members and fans of these clubs. So I think you're right. I think it's about bringing the game together. Ultimately, we want to see a second division do well, turn that into promotion relegation, and just, I mean, we all know what a this meritocracy. is going to do. Mm. And it, you know what? It will live and die on its own merits. Mm. Live or die on its own merits. So let's hope it's uh, the former. Uh, Final one, Mr. Cucumber. Uh, should A-League clubs look at investing in leagues clubs like they do in the NRL? I think Broski, uh, it's sort of the other way around, isn't it? You were telling me. Well, that's that's 
the way that I understand it, Simon, is that the lease clubs often own the mm. NRL clubs. And that's certainly the setup at Marconi, which has the same business model. For football, mm-hmm. yeah. Club Marconi own the Marconi Stallions, who are going to be part of this NST. Look, it's one way to do it. Um, and it's been, a, you know, it's been a way that's has worked for NRL clubs. It has its challenges as well because you have um, members that are elected or the boards that get re-elected and uh, are always looking for uh, to, to stay in power, basically. But, uh, yeah, it's one model that's we're going to explore with uh, Marconi coming into the NST. Hmm. Could be an option for some clubs down the road. And FP has come back to us. So, A-League, you did not read all of my text. Here's the last line of your text, FP. If I can watch, I may go to a live game because I have an interest. Brilliant. That's what we said. Enjoy it if you get to a ground. Uh, thanks for all your messages again tonight. We really appreciate them. Uh, we couldn't get through all of them, but uh, we're off to another break. On the other side of it, we'll wrap up the show with Paul Williams of Football Asia. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, let's round out the show as we always do with Football Asia in the company of Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast. How are you, mate? Hey, Paul. I'm good, guys. How are you this week? Very good. Uh, Let's kick off with the AFC Champions League. A vital game coming up for Melbourne City in Japan against Ventura at Kofu. Uh, This will be the key game, I guess, in deciding who finishes top of Group H with the two level on seven points with a couple of matches to go. Mm -hmm. Although City could still theoretically go through in second spot. They could, because obviously some of the best second-place teams will go through. I was having a look at the the table today and a little bit of the permutations, and if my maths is correct, and maths wasn't always my strongest class at school, but I think it's, it is possible for City to actually qualify through to the round of 16 tonight if they win and Zhejiang win against Buriram United. Uh, as I read it, that would give them enough to get through. They'd be top. Uh, three points clear of Coffee, but they'd have the head-to-head record against Coffee, given that they drew earlier in this campaign as well. Um, and Zhejiang would only be four points behind with one game to go. So it's a huge game for City tonight. The the loss they had last time out against Buriram really sort of threw the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit. They're looking pretty comfortable at one point. Um, they're still in a good position to get out of this group, but they need a, a good result on the road tonight. A-League clubs typically haven't travelled all that well to Japan in the past, so it'll be really interesting to see how they go. Kofu have had a couple of weeks off. Their season finished a few weeks ago. They narrowly missed out on the uh, the J2 playoffs. So their last game was on the 12th, uh, 12th of November, so a couple of weeks without a game. Perhaps they might have lost a little bit of match sharpness in that time, so perhaps City can take advantage of that, but huge game for them tonight. And overnight tomorrow, the... I think it is. Overnight in the Western zone, Al-Sad, who've won the competition twice, they're on the brink of elimination, but have given themselves a chance by beating Sharjah in Group B. They have. They've still left themselves with a lot of work to do, but they are still alive, um, given the whole situation of you know second-place teams, some getting out of the group, some not. And it kind of needed an abacus to figure out where they sit at the moment they need to defeat Nasser from Uzbekistan, who are top of the group uh, in their last group game, probably need to win that by a couple of goals. And even that may still only see them through potentially as one of the best second place teams as well. So um, it is, it's still up in the air, but as I said, they've left themselves a lot of work to do, but given the talent that they have at the disposal, I've mentioned this before, you know, Hassan Al-Haydos, Akram Afif, uh, Baghdad Bourneja, you know, 
really top quality international players to be in this position in the group that they're in is really not good enough for a team of, of that quality. Um, it's looking like that they are going to exit at the group stage again, which I think is now would be three campaigns in a row that they've exited in a group stage. And for a team that probably should have, you know, eyes on winning this competition, um, they've really let themselves down um, over the last couple of years. Now, the big news in the AFC Cup is, of course, that MacArthur must host their game with Shan United on neutral territory. Uh, that's due to the fact that Shan have been denied visas to travel to Australia due to the political situation in Myanmar at the moment. Uh, th- this is a bit of a tricky situation uh, for the Bulls, I guess, and, and not only in a football sense, but also with the Australian government. I don't think they've made themselves very popular by playing that away game in the first place. Mm. Uh, it's it's a fascinating situation, this one. Um, I think, first of all, credit has to go to the, the, the clubs involved, the Football Australia and the AFC, for getting a game on neutral territory at such short notice. I mean, it's no mean feat at the best of times to, to do it with, with only a week or two um, of finding out to, to get everything organised um, is a Herculean effort, so it's a hats off to them. But um, it is a fascinating situation. I think it comes as a result of the owners of Shan United having some links to the military junta that's that's in control there in, in Myanmar, and they have travel bans placed upon them from um, the Australian government. But what is interesting from a geopolitical point of view is this is now the second time that this has happened um, to Australia or in Australia um, that a team has actually been banned from travelling here because they haven't been issued visas. Australia was due to host uh, some under-20 um, Asian Cup qualifiers four or five years ago now. A North Korean team was actually denied visas by the Australian government as well, um, which forced the relocation of that qualifying tournament, which was due to be played in Shepparton in country Victoria. That had to get moved because the government wouldn't issue North Korea visas. Now we've got this situation with Shan United from Myanmar as well. So two times in the space of five years that the Australian government has denied visas to teams wanting to come and play here. I don't know how much that impacts future bids for Australia when they put their hands up for these tournaments. But, you know, if it keeps happening, then Australia does risk being seen as a risk when it comes to hosting these tournaments as well. And then from a football point of view, for MacArthur, it presents them with a, a bigger challenge as well because, you know, they still should be good enough to get over Shane United. We saw the disparity when they played a few weeks ago, but we saw what happened when MacArthur went to Cambodia and we thought they'd be good enough as well. So um, it's pretend, uh, presented a bit of a banana skin for them as well. So it's a fascinating situation. Well, both uh, clubs, MacArthur and the Mariners, are top of their groups at the moment. Um, if they go on to win their groups, they go into the zonal semifinals. Uh, who are they likely to play or any, any big potential matchups that you'd like to see? Um, it's hard to know at this stage further down the line. I mean, if they both get out of the group, which is is looking likely, I mean, it looks like Saba from Malaysia will likely win the other group, Group H, and then it depends on which best second place team gets out of the group, probably going to be one of Terengganu or Phnom Penh Crown as well. And then they'll have a draw for the knockout rounds to to map their path through to the final. So it's possible that the, the two A-League clubs could actually meet in the uh, the zonal semifinals, which would uh, be a shame from an Australian point of view that one of them would have to get knocked out um, slightly earlier. The dream scenario is that they both make it through um, to the ASEAN zone final. Uh, and then one of them then, progresses from there but such is the structure of this competition that we've discussed before the zonal 
final, the ASEAN zone final is effectively really only the round of 16. You've then got to go into the interzone semifinals, then the interzone final, and then all the way through to the final. So they could be, you know, facing trips to, you know, Kyrgyzstan. They could be facing trips to India. They could be facing trips to um, anywhere else in West Asia, Oman, Bahrain, or anything like that towards the end of the competition as well. So it throws up some um, some fascinating possibilities. Yeah, it's a very confusing competition, it must be said. Um, <laughs> rather more straightforward uh, in Japan, Vissel Kobe have been crowned champions of the J-League, their first ever championship after uh, Kevin Muscat's Yokohama F. Marinos could only draw uh, their penultimate game against Oberex Nagata. Uh, is this the end of the road for Muskie in Japan? He's been linked with a few jobs in Europe. What's your mail on, on his future? I think given the links that we've seen over the last couple of months that it has been now, I think it would probably be a surprise if Muskie still is in Japan by the time the next J-League season starts. It seems like he's had two and a half seasons now in Japan, um, which is a, a decent length of time for a uh, for a foreign manager. He's certainly grown in that time as a manager as well. He's been in contention for the title. I mean, his teams have done fantastically well. He's taken over from Ange and they've barely, you know, missed a beat. They could potentially have won three titles since, since Muskie's been there. They only missed out on this one by a couple of points. Of course, they won last season and the season before when Muskie came in halfway through, um, they were in contention for that title. As well, so I, I think given the success that he's had in Japan, I think he will have his eyes on a move potentially as well to take that next step in his career. So I certainly think it'll be a surprise. Um, and just on Vissel Kobe as well, it's a it's a fantastic story. It's somewhat ironic for a club that's become known as the Galacticos for all the big name signings that they've had that their title success came after all of those players have now left the club. Um, it is a season after they almost got relegated as well, which is remarkable. They only just avoided relegation last season. So to turn it around this season and and win the title on the back of two high-profile signings, Japanese signings, Yuya Osako and Yoshinori Muto, who have been absolutely sublime this season. Um, they've taken them all the way to the title. And um, it's great to see three three different winners in three seasons in the J-League. It, uh, it throws up um, fantastic title races year in, year out. And looking uh, quickly at Korea as well, there's a decent relegation battle happening there between Suwon FC and Suwon Blue, uh, Blue Wings trying to avoid uh, relegation. Now, the Blue Wings, with a huge win away to FC Seoul, keeps their hopes uh, alive. And if both of them win in this last game, they could even send Gangwon down. They could because the Blue Wings actually played Gangwon in the uh, the final game of the season. It looked for all money a couple of weeks ago that uh, that Suwon Blue Wings were, were going to go down, but they've got back-to-back wins now that have put them right back in the, the mix of avoiding uh, the automatic drop. Um, they'll go into the playoff um, against the K2 sides, regardless of what happens. They can't avoid that scenario altogether. Um, but yeah, huge, huge win on the weekend uh, away to FC Seoul, as we spoke about uh, last week or the week before. It's dubbed the super match in Korea. It's the biggest club football game that there is in Korea. Um, so to go to Seoul and to win 1-0 to keep their um, their hopes alive um, for another week, uh, that was a huge win. And yes, they're now level on points with Suwon FC, their cross-town rivals on 32, and Gangwon are only one point ahead on, on 33. So given they play them on the final day, they could finish the season with three wins that would take them out of the automatic spot. And then they'll go into the playoffs against um, second and third from uh, from K2 as well. Um, so there is still hope that they could be in uh, in the K-League next season. 
Paolo, brilliant stuff. Uh, I know that uh, you you were uh, a little bit nonplussed by uh, Thailand's uh, parting company with Mano Polking as head coach. Unfortunately, we've run out of time this week, but we might ask you that one uh, next week in terms of uh, the national game. But uh, thanks mm. so much for your time as ever, mate, and uh, I'll speak to you next week. See you, mate. Cheers, guys. That is our show for this week. Uh, Broski, where are you this weekend? Uh, at Allianz, mate. Sydney taking on Perth. Yes, I shall see you there. The team that can't win at home against the team that can't (laughs) win away. Maybe something finally uh, should give for one of these two teams. Uh, I'll also bet that MacArthur Adelaide game on Monday. MacArthur, of course, put that game back 24 hours because of their AFC Cup game against Shen United. Hope you'll be with us on the global game. Same time, same place next week. See you then. Thanks for listening.